thank you for joining us this morning. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad we get a chance to open up Philippians together. Come on in, grab your donuts, grab your coffee. Uh, might want to double up on coffee this morning. No, it's not that boring. Well, parts of it are, um, but no. My lesson today is on Paul getting personal. So I might as well start that way. You know, I'm, I'm fascinated by things. I was writing an email this week. And um, are you familiar with the term narcissism? You know, where it's all about me? Well, I get nervous when I write emails or letters and I start with I. Just like the first thing, I, I wanted to write. I wanted, I wanted, because that's the focus that starts out on me. <clears throat> and it's something I have to really fight against. I just have a tendency to do that. And sometimes I'll write and I'll go back and look at my email before I hit send and I'll count how many times I said I. It like outnumbers everything else in the email. I'm starting to feel a little narcissistic. And I, and I was um, taught early on not to begin letters, uh, I, this was pre-email, not to begin letters or overindulge in letters with I. I, 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 I. So I thought, you know, I wonder where that comes from. I wonder if that's really narcissistic or just ill-mannered. So I did some research this week. There was a study that was published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology entitled Narcissism and the Use of Personal Pronouns, I, Me, Revisited, Carrie Brooks and others. I didn't put all the authors' names up here. And here's a finding. Well, before I give you the finding, let me tell you why they did the study. They said the following. Among both, whoops, go back, go back, go back, go back. Among both laypersons and researchers, extensive use of first-person singular pronouns, i.e., I talk, is considered a face-valid, in other words, on its face, a valid reason, linguistic language marker of narcissism. That's what I was taught. I think I was taught at a... Um, the first law firm I went to work for. But it says, however, the assumed relation between narcissism and iTalk has yet to be subjected to a strong empirical test. In other words, nobody's tested it. So we conducted a large-scale, multi-site multi-measure, dual language, they did it in English and German, investigation to determine if people who excessively say I, 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 I are narcissists. You want to know what the result was? Okay, here it was. Narcissism is unrelated to the use of first-person singular pronouns. So, I don't have anything to worry about. And I 
am looking forward to the next email that I write. <laughs> and that's relevant because Paul uses the personal pronoun I over and over and over in today's passages. <laughs> he's, it's, it's, but it's not because he's a narcissist. It's because he's, he's explaining his personal perspective. And it's a valid and it's an okay thing to do. So let's put the passage under the microscope today. And when we do, we're going to have three things that we see. We've got three different slides, if you will, for the microscope. First, we're going to look at what Paul says about to live or to die. Then we're going to look at a tough dilemma. And then we'll finally see the resolution or decision of that dilemma. So with that as our roadmap, let's start with to live or die. And to do that, we've got to get in the context, in the flow of the passage. So I've put it up here just because it's quick and easy. We already covered this part last week. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, what he's going through, will turn out for my deliverance. This will turn out for my deliverance as it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is saying, I'm in prison for the sake of the gospel. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I could live or I could die. But I know that Christ is going to be honored either way and so he's rejoicing and then we get to today's passage it begins for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain this is an amazing passage we need to spend some time deeply delving into this passage for me, to live is Christ. To zain Christos. To live is Christ. <clears throat> to live, to zain. Uh, to just is a, a, an article, it means the. But zain is the infinitive form, present infinitive form of the verb to, be, uh, of the verb to live. And um, so, so it's being used as a noun here, but, but he's saying to live, moment by moment, to live is Christ. Now, is is not in here. It's implied. There's no is in the Greek. It just says to live, Christ. And we imply is. To live is Christ. What Paul's saying is that the center of all of his life, everything about his life, the center of it is Christ. And this caused me to reflect when I was studying it, getting ready to teach. What is it that gives life meaning? Honestly, just take a moment self-talk what is it that gives life meaning what is it that gives you purpose if you've got purpose 
<clears throat> is it making money? Paying the bills? The rat race? Trying to keep your head above water? <clears throat> or if you're sinking, trying to get your head above water? Is that the purpose of life? Is the meaning of life and the purpose of life to have fun? When you wake up in the morning, do you get going because you want to have fun? Maybe you get going for money, work, the rat race, the drudgery, or maybe what gets you going is just having fun. When you wake up in the morning, or when you're making decisions, what gives your life purpose? Is it being popular? Being uh, liked by others? Gives you a feeling of self-worth? Is it your career? You're figuring out your, your, the trajectory of your career and you're walking up that ladder because success is just ahead. And that's what your drive in life? That's what gives it purpose? Is it accumulating stuff? Getting that new car, getting that new house, getting that new outfit. By the way, this is a new sports jacket. Do you like it? <laughs> I mean, is that the purpose? Is, is that what gives your life meaning? For Paul... To live, the, the reason to live, the purpose of living, the drive behind living, the reason to get up in the morning, the reason to go out and do things. The entire life is centered around Christ. It is Christ that gave him meaning. His life was a life of Christ. If he's making money, he's making it for Christ. He would, he would repair tents and make tents so that he had money to fund his ministry because it's Christ that he's concerned about, not counting shekels. If he's trying to make friends with people and seeking to influence them because of his, his, his personage, it's not to be popular. It's for Christ. He wants Christ to shine. He wants Christ to work through those relationships. He's making, he, he wants to be winsome for Christ. He'll be a Greek to a Greek and a Jew to a Jew to win them to Christ. His career is one that's centered on Christ. What does Christ want him to do? Where does Christ want him to go? His life is the life of Christ. To Zane Christos. To live. Living Christ. They're the same. And we talked last week about verb tenses. And that's useful here because this is in the present tense. And the present tense in Greek is one that puts a stress on the process or the, the action of a continual living. So he's saying it's not, hey, you know, I put eight hours a day in for Christ. 
And that gives me 16 hours a day to recharge my batteries and include sleep. I was, look, I, I, I'm, I'm having a real crisis of, uh, of life in a sense. Um, I'm going to need to form a 12-step program for this. It's going to be called YouTube's Anonymous. Because my crisis is I've been watching way too much YouTube. And I find myself, it's a problem, it's an addiction, and I can't get out of it. I don't mean to make light of, of addiction programs. But um, uh, I have been spending more time probably than I should watching YouTube videos. And, and it's real interesting because Google, I'm convinced, uh, has spies everywhere. I think they hear us right now. They're keeping track of everything we talk about. I do have friends who were at dinner one night, a bunch of lawyers, talking about who owns a Tesla and who doesn't. And within 10 minutes, their phone started lighting up with text messages about why they should buy a Tesla. You know, I mean, I, I'm convinced they're listening. And hello, you need to know the Lord. And... Um, <laughs> So, I had done a search, a Google search on my computer related to a military type issue. And lo and behold, on YouTube, which I think is owned by Google, on my home YouTube page lights up a, a video that they think I might enjoy watching. And it was about the military. Life on an aircraft carrier. Well, I happen to have had an extra 20 minutes of my time to watch life on an aircraft carrier on YouTube. After all, I'm addicted. So I watched it. And on YouTube, they say you, on an aircraft carrier, you're 12 hours on and 12 hours off. So you're on duty for 12 hours, and then for 12 hours you're off duty. You're supposed to spend eight of it sleeping. That gives you four hours to... Uh, exercise, which you have to do three days a week. I mean, I've learned the whole thing. I've got it. I've watched the video. But that's not Paul. The present tense in the Greek is not 12 hours on, and then you've got 12 hours off where you can sleep for eight, and you can... Everything Paul's doing, continual present tense, is for Christ. So if he's 12 hours on for Christ... And then four hours off, if he's recharging his batteries, that's okay. But he's recharging them for Christ. So he'll be able to go for Christ. If he's sleeping, that's okay. But he's sleeping, so he'll be refreshed for Christ. Everything's Christ. That's the present tense. He's stressing that process, that action. Continual living. Everything is Christ. He explains this in detail in Philippians 3, 4 through 10. And it's worth looking at because the Philippians haven't heard it yet when they're first reading the letter. But they don't read the letter once and trash it. They reread it again and again because they want to get everything Paul says. And so it's fair to say, what does he say about this later on? He says the following. Look, I myself have reason to have confidence in my human life in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I got more. 
He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's a legal requirement under the laws of Moses. I'm of the people of Israel. He's a Jew. I am um, um, of the tribe of Benjamin. He's not only a Jew. He's a Jew who comes from a family that's kept their lineage alive going all the way back to the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, really good family roots. A Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, as to the law, I'm a Pharisee. That's the most law attentive and law respecting and law following group there was among the Jews. As to zeal, how serious did I take it? I took it so seriously, I persecuted the church because I thought the church was ungodly. As to righteousness under the law, he's speaking here about the 513 commandments, nobody had any reason to blame me. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count it like garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection, that I may share his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is what Paul is saying. He says, for me, all of life is Christ. It's not History, it's not family lineage, it's not self-righteousness, it's not personal accomplishments. Everything else is garbage compared to Christ and being found in Him. And living to, 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 to fellowship with Him, to His praise and glory. And so he says um, this. Now... This next slide, I don't know where this toward God here got on this, so just pretend that's not there. And look at the slide. For me to live is Christ and to die, to apothenane, is gain, kerdos. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now I told you to live, tozane, is in the present tense, continual. Constant stressing the fact it's happening 24-7. But to die is not. To die is in the Greek verb form is the aorist form. And that's proper. Because this isn't something that is happening over and over again. It's not repetitive like the, like the, the present tense would be. This is, is something that, that to die is a one-time thing. <laughs> You, you, don't, you don't physically die every day. 
It, 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 you know, it, it happens. But there's an interesting thing here because of this word translated gain. This Greek word kerdos. It, it means typically a profit of what you earn. It's like you go to work. Hold on. Somewhere in here. I think, yeah. I got my wallet. You go to work and you go to work to make this. This is kerdos. This is gain. This is profit. And so a lot of scholars have trouble with this. It's really fun to read what they write about. Because they say, well, <clears throat> how could Paul say that he earns something by dying? Paul never says you earn. You know, what you get with, with death is, is uh, the, the Christian eternity is not something that's gained in the sense of earned. And so they struggle with that. And they struggle to try to explain Paul and this seemingly aberrant theology that's crept in somewhere. And some scholars will say, oh, that's probably a sign it wasn't even Paul. Or this is a sign that Paul's theology hasn't developed yet. And, and it's none of those. <laughs> it's none of those. Um, <laughs> these, this is just, this is why we read in Greek as well as English. Okay? Do you know this word? Assonance? You may not know the word, but you're familiar with the concept. Assonance is something that happens that you hear, and it's, it's an effect of words that are spoken that you hear. See, Paul didn't write this so that they'd run a copy off for everybody and pass it around for everybody to read. This is a letter that was stood up and read to everyone and everyone hears it. So what it sounds like is very important. Assonance is repeating the sound of a vowel or a diphthong, which is a couple of vowels rolled into one, in non-rhyming stressed syllables that are near enough to each other for you to hear the echo. It's just kind of a cool thing to listen to. Can I give you an example? Okay, here's an example. More volume, please. Stays mainly in the Lane. What was that? The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. Again. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. I think she's got it. I think she's got it. 
The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. By George, he's got it. By George, he's got it. Now, once again, where does it rain? Once again, on where the is plain, the rain? On the plain. And where's that soggy plain? In Spain, in Spain. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. Okay, enough of my fair lady. All Paul's doing is, is the same thing here. We just don't get it because we're reading English. And if you read the Greek, you don't quite see it. But if you sound the Greek, you do. Tozain Christos, Toapothenein Kyrdos. This is Tozain Christos. To apothane kirtos. These are both dentals. T and D sound in the original Greek very similar. Ta -ta 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 -ta. The tongue's right here. Ta -ta 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 -ta. It's called a dental because it's going against your teeth. Ta -ta 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 -ta. So this is just kirtos, kirtos. You've got the ka sound, the ka sound. Christos, kirtos. You've got the R. You've got the ta 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 ta, the dental. The os at the end, to, to, zane, apothane, kratos, kirtos. He's just using assonance. He's not wanting you to dig down into the word to try to figure out the theology of gain. He just wants you to hear what he's saying in a way you'll remember it. The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. To, zane, kratos, to, apothane, kirtos. He wants you to remember this. This is a central point. He wants it to be a, what's it called when it, that song gets stuck in your head? Earworm. He wants this to be an earworm. He wants this stuck in your head. He wants you thinking all the time, 24-7, to live as Christ. Tozen Christos. Tozen Christos. Tozen Christos. Toapothen Kirdos. He wants it stuck in your head. It's just, we read it and it's to live is Christ and to die is gain. Doesn't quite have that snap, does it? But that's okay. We get the idea. And Paul is stuck here. He says that and then something really cool happens in the next couple of verses. So put the next slide up. Here's his tough dilemma. Paul knows if he lives, he lives for Christ 24-7. But he also knows if he dies, he gains Christ. He gets Christ, not because he earned him. He gets him. He'll be with him. The thief on the cross, Christ says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so Paul's got this tough dilemma. And it's really interesting to start looking at the next because he says, here's the translation of the English Standard Version. For if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. 
Now, some of you read Greek, and, and you'll see this, Ide um, tozain, for me to live, same thing, tozain, he's got it in the present tense, uh, the infinitive, um, in the flesh, in sarki. Now, don't get distracted. There are times where Paul uses flesh to talk about the sinful nature and all of this. He's not talking about that here. Here, he's just talking about your body, your physical body. For me to live in this physical body, tauto, this, to me, moi, karpos ergu, fruit of work. Tai ti arisamai u ginaridzo. The Greek here reads kind of fuzzy. It's, 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 not, it's not clear Greek, easy to translate. It's like Paul's him hawing around. You ever catch your kids in trouble and you ask them what's going on? And instead of giving you a direct answer, they just start hem-hawing around uncomfortably? Not that it ever happened to my children. <laughs> but you can just see them trying to dance their way through. So one of the things I do as a lawyer, a trial lawyer, is I read books and study different things about human communication and behavior and one of the things I've spent a lot of time doing is working on lie spotting how you can tell when someone's lying now, this isn't an indication that Paul's lying but it is an indication that Paul's very uncomfortable while he's writing this because he's just not talking so clearly Remember, Paul's dictating this letter. He doesn't have it on a computer to go back and edit. He's got a secretary, and he's dictating the letter. And Paul is in the process of dictating the letter, chained to a Roman guard, interestingly enough, who there's no doubt Paul realizes is part of his audience. And Paul is sitting there, and that Roman guard must have been freaking out. Because this guy is sitting there saying, man, I'd rather die. It's better for me. I get to be with Christ. And I'm trying to figure out what to do, Philippians. I, 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 I don't know what to do. And so Paul's picture here makes sense, but his Greek is mighty fuzzy. Because he's in a dilemma. He's just not sure. So what I did is I put up two translations for you here. I've got the English Standard Version, but I'm adding a third column with the NIV so that you can see how different translators have tried to deal with the fuzzy Greek. English Standard. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. <laughs> see this... Um, end of the, the passage here, U just means not. Um, Gineridzo means make it known. So I can't make it known. It's like, I'm, you know, and what are you going to do with that? I mean, is he saying, I can't decide? Is he saying, I'm not going to tell you? Is it, what's he saying here? It's just kind of fuzzy. So the, the, the English Standard Version, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. The NIV says, if I'm to go on living in the body, they change flesh to body, which is a good 
fine thing to do. It, it takes away the confusion of, that might be in there. This will mean fruitful labor for me. Instead of that means, they make it future tense, saying that Paul's talking about the fact that it will be fruitful labor for him. Yet which I shall choose, or what shall I choose, they make it a question. And he says, I don't know. And they say, I can't tell. I mean, one he says, you know, they're interpreting Gennarizzo to, to mean, I don't know. I can't decide. And the English Standard Version is still giving you the chance of, of, of understanding it as, I can't tell you. I think, um, I think the NIV probably reads a little clearer, and I'm so sorry to say that to my friends that translate the English Standard Version. I think the NIV is probably a little clearer on what he means, but I think the English Standard Version gives us an ability to read it differently if we want to. But it's, it's a, a lot of it's hinged off of that word. But here's what Paul's saying. He says, look, I got a choice here. I'm at two ends of a teeter-totter. I've got the choice of fruitful labor for Christ, because everything's still for Christ, to live as Christ. I can have fruitful labor for Christ, or I can gain Christ himself. So I can do something for Christ, or I can have Christ in a way I can't have him in this world. So that's, that's why he says, he says, and look, I'm hard-pressed between the two. Soon echo my, is I'm hard-pressed. That's, that's still in the present tense. Did I put that up here? Uh, no, I didn't. But that's still in the present tense. I'm hard-pressed. This, this is a real moment-by-moment -moment struggle for me. And this word hard-pressed, Suneko my, suneko. Um, it's 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 actually uh, what's it called, Beverly? When you take two words and put them together, a compound word. Compound. This is a compound of two words. It's the the Greek word soon is with, and the Greek word echo is to have or to hold, and 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 so um, he's it's it means surrounded. I'm surrounded. Now, you can be surrounded and it can be a good thing or a bad thing. And the same with this word. So it can mean surrounded in the sense that it causes distress. It can also mean surrounded in the sense that I've got to really focus. And I think here the translators do a good job of recognizing uh, this. Luke 12, 50 and Luke 4.38 give you some good looks at what this word can be. Luke 12.50, let me show you what those are. Luke was the travel buddy for Paul. And he writes and uses the same word. And he says in Luke 12.50, Jesus is talking. And Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it was already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. 
Suneko is right here, translated distress. And I'm surrounded, and it's stressing me out. I'm de-stressed. Uh, Luke 4.38 is another one um, passage that uses the same word to give you some idea of what Paul might mean here. This is when Jesus heals many. He arises, he leaves the synagogue, he goes into Peter's house, Simon Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. It's actually this word ill. She was surrounded by a high fever. She was stressed. She was, she was um, distressed. So this idea is, is being surrounded. And it can mean surrounded in the sense that it causes you to focus. But it can also mean surrounded in the sense of causing you distress. Okay. Paul is saying, this is Paul. And he's got consternation. He says, I'm stressed about this. I'm real upset between these two. I, 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 I've got to figure this out. I'm, 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 I'm distressed. I'm, I'm occupied on this. I'm, I'm this, look, he's, he's imprisoned. And remember the Roman prison? He's got enough money to live in a slum chained to a Roman guard because he's in a slum. Otherwise, without the money, they just put him in a hole in the ground. And he eats whatever falls into the hole or whatever he can catch among the rats. But thankfully, he's got enough money not to be in a hole in the ground where typically people just starve and die. But he's not much better off in the slum. He can only eat. The, the Romans don't give their prisoners food. So it's whatever he can buy, whatever someone will bring to him. There's a good church in Rome. That's a good thing. Jesus said, I was in prison and you visited me not. That's why visiting someone in prison was so important. You had to bring them food. I'm not saying it's not important now. But this is, this is the framework. This is what Paul's doing here. This is what Paul's got. So the English Standard Version says, I'm hard pressed. The New International Version says, I'm torn between the two. And that's why they translate it differently. They're trying to convey this idea of, of he's surrounded by this in such a way that it's distressing to him. He doesn't know. He's, he's trying to figure it out. This is a real dilemma. This isn't just an academic exercise of someone who reads this letter. This is something that should cause anybody reading this letter to stop on their knees and say, let's just stop for a minute and let's pray for Paul. And I hope that's what the Philippians did. Because he's torn up. He says, I'm hard pressed between these two. My desire, what I want, epithemian, that's, that's, a, that's a desire. That's, that's, a, I, that, that's even translated in some places lust. Epithemia, the, 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 the noun is, is translated lust. Paul uses it and it's translated covet in Romans where he says, I wouldn't have known what was to covet if I, the law hadn't said don't covet it's a passion 
It's a desire, a deep desire. My passionate desire is to depart and be with Christ. That's what he wants more than anything in the world. That is far better. That's not just better, it's far better. The different distance between first choice and second choice is a world away. My passionate desire is to depart and be with Christ. That's far better. But to remain, epimenane, in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so Paul's sitting there going, that's his dilemma so what's he decide to do easy he says convinced Papoythos, convinced of this I know Oida that I'll remain and continue to be with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now last week I threw up this verb chart and I talked about how verbs are action words and how we have verb tenses in English and I used this slide to talk about the form of Greek verbs. I talked to you about this unusual Greek form called a perfect. And a perfect means it's an action fully completed with consequences at the time of speaking. We don't really have anything like that in English. I contrasted it to the future tense, which is something that'll happen in the future. Well, that's relevant here because Paul uses the perfect here both in papoithos and oida. He uses the perfect, which means, so the convinced and I know means something that he's already decided but has ramifications for the Philippians who are hearing it right now. So he says, I just want you to know I made this decision and I want you to see the way it affects you. The decision is, I will remain, and now he goes future tense. So they don't have to worry about him changing his mind tomorrow. He's made up his mind. This is not, gee, is Paul suicidal? No. Paul has made up his mind that it's best for him and so he can speak about the future and says, I will remain and I'll continue with you all. And continue, parameno is, parameno is, is uh, future as well. I'll continue with you all. So this is, Paul says, you know, I can got fruitful labor for Christ at one end, gaining of Christ at the other. One's better for y'all, one's better for me. What's my decision going to be? What's better for you? I park out here on Sunday mornings. Do not grab my parking place. I park in front of the dumpsters. So I don't like take one of those places for, for folks that need the help. Uh, uh, I'm at least on the dumpster side. But this morning, there were a bunch of buses loading up kids for camp. Um, I remember when our kids were in camp, uh, our son came home one year from, from CFBC uh, high school camp, 
and he had a, an award. It was the Joy Award. Joy. I said, that's really cool. And the award, I don't know if they still give it out or not, but the award was for people who ordered their lives to live for Jesus first, others second, and yourself third. Joy. That's really fitting here because Philippians is known as the book of joy. And it's not just the book of joy in the sense that Paul uses the word rejoice and joy all the time. It's also the book of joy because Paul says, I'm going to live for Jesus first. Tozain Christos. I'm going to live for Jesus first. And then I'm going to put the concerns of the Philippians of others second. And I'll put myself last. Paul wasn't a narcissist. Anything but. He was just a fellow who was facing life or death. And there was a tough dilemma of how he wanted that to turn out. But he made his decision based upon what's best for Christ and best for others. Not what's best for Paul. And that's how he got personal. Dale Hearn is in this class. He sits over here. Where is he? There he is. Sitting next to his sweet wife, Carrie. And Dale has been in this class, as many of you have, from basically the beginning. And Dale has uh, one of these folks who emails me frequently after class. But Dale is one of the people also who's helped form some of this class. And one of the things Dale has always pushed me to do is to make sure I don't end class without giving either points for home or points to ponder or something like that. And so I started putting those in at, at um, Dale's suggestion. And, uh, and it was great. And then Dale would send me emails periodically after class. And he would tell me that I shortchanged them and I need to give them more time. Or he would say I gave them due time and that was a good thing. Emails contain other things. I want to get, I, I already know he's going to send me an email today telling me not to wear a pajama top for a shirt in class. That's a typical one I get from him if I wear anything with any design to it. Um, but I want to make sure that I honor Dale and spend a moment on the points to ponder or points for home. Because this is what it's all about. We can read about Paul and read what went on with him and that may be interesting and it may stoke our interest and we may enjoy the Greek and that may educate us and we may look at the language and that may enhance our vocabulary and, and all of that's fine. But the real question is, how does it affect you and me? I'm not up here to teach a history or a literature class or even a Greek class. And so the first point is, what drives my life? Why do I get up in the morning? Why do I do the things I do? Why do I work? Why do I play? Why do I build? 
why do I take care of my family? All of that needs to be wrapped up in Christ. Um, I had a chance to have lunch with a fellow um, in Missouri. I'm, he's a, a friend. His name is uh, John Ashcroft. Um, John was the governor of Missouri and became a senator from Missouri and then became a, the attorney general under uh, President Bush. Um, he's a lawyer, obviously, if he was attorney general. And he's been out of politics for some time. Uh, we've done some projects together legally and he's a friend, he and his wife Janet, and I was in their home and I was talking to him recently and asking him what God was doing in his life because he's a very devout believer. And, and General Ashcroft uh, told me something that, that really illuminated my brain for a moment. See, one of the things that drives my life is being a father. I have five children. And, you know, I grew up with a mom and a dad who would, in a heartbeat, give their lives for us. They lived their lives focused on providing for their children. And so I, I look at this and, and I come at it from a natural perspective. One of the things that drives my life is being there for my children, doing right by my children. But General Ashcroft told me something about fatherhood that I thought was very insightful. He said, go back and look at the Lord's Prayer in this light. Jesus begins, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That beginning, pater hemon, Father, ours, in Greek. First word, pater, Father, hemon, of ours, of us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's Jesus the Son praying and teaching us to pray to God the Father. He said, so we can read that prayer and understand what a godly father should be doing for his children if we just turn it upside down. Give us this day our daily bread. A godly father is going to provide for the needs of of his children and my children are grown up most of them don't need daily bread from me but that doesn't mean that they don't have other needs and if I'm going to be driven by Christ then even in my fathering of my children I'm going to do it by Christ by his example, by his inspiration, by his teaching, and to his glory. So that they can better see God the Father's love by seeing my love. So God the Father says, he will give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. So as a father, 
I'm to look to walk in forgiveness with my children. I'm to look to, to, to show them and model for them the grace of God. An unmerited love and forgiveness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'm to be a leader, even with my adult children, to show them the way to Christ. Because they will see and understand God the Father better if they see and understand me reflecting Him. So what drives your life? Everything should be centered on Christ. Tosein Christos, to live as Christ. And it should drive our life. Point number two. Have faith in Christ. I've told you before, look, I, I, I live in association in my brain. We actually all do. It's a psychological phenomena. You associate words and things and it happens. Okay, I still have... And I saw it recently on YouTube. The, the, the aftershave commercials from when I was growing up in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, where the guy gets slapped and he says, thanks, I needed that. Because that aftershave's a slap in the face. And this is a slap in the face to me when Paul says this. To die is gain. I mean, Paul thinks he, if he lives, he thinks he's going to be released. He thinks he's going to go see the Philippians again. And he's still saying, it's better for me to be dead. And I'm like, whoa! Paul, buddy, don't you have at least a little bit of worry that maybe that was a vision that you'd had bad mushrooms or something on the way to Damascus? There was no doubt in Paul's mind. And it's not because he was a wackadoodle. It's because he had experienced the Lord, the resurrected Lord. There's not, look, if you had seen Jesus and he had blinded you on the road to Damascus and he had talked to you and he had told you to go to a specific house on Straight Street to meet a specific fella and when you showed up that fella already knew who you were because Jesus had told him you were coming and that fella prayed for you and the blindness you had since the vision on the road fell away and that fella baptized you and the Holy Spirit came into you and began to teach you and study and, and instruct you and show you how the Old Testament spoke of the Messiah and how they fit like a glove on a hand. And through you, God's able to work miracles. And when poor Eutychus falls asleep while you're preaching from an upstairs window and he kills him, he dies when he falls down and you pray over him and he's resurrected. And when you're able to heal people and cast out demons because of Jesus, and you've experienced this, and this is legit and real, and there's no doubt in your brain, you'd have no trouble saying, yeah, I know this stuff. I know exactly what's going to happen when I die. I'm going to be with the Lord, and it's going to be so much better. But that's God's decision on when that comes. My decision is to live in joy. And put Jesus and his work first. And put others second.
and I pull up the end. Now that doesn't mean that you're not important and I'm not important. We are. We've just got our place. Jesus says love your neighbor as yourself. You need self-care. You need stuff because you want to be there for Christ. You want to be there for others. And if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not. But keep the perspective right. You got it? Okay, pray for me next week, because next week, God willing, I get to teach this class, and then I preach big church, so pray for me. Meanwhile, let me bless you in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray your blessings of joy, not just this, the, the sense and the embedded joy, but the commitment to live for you and others as an expression of how we live our lives for ourselves. Would you... Uh, um, put within us a burning recognition and desire for that Lord through Jesus we pray and we long for the day of gain amen thank you guys